Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning, good morning, good morning again. I'm Carmen LaBerge. It is Thursday, mm-hmm, the 7th of uh, September. I don't know about you. I completely lost a day this week. I mean, I know that we started a day kind of late because of Labor Day, um, but things that I normally do on Wednesday, I completely forgot about yesterday because it felt like Tuesday. And in the middle of the day, a person who I normally meet for discipleship in the middle, in the middle of the afternoon, she's like, Hey, I'm going to be a few minutes late back to my house. So, you know, and I'm like, oh, it's Wednesday. Mm, yeah, I'm not coming today. Uh, I was, yeah, off to do other things. So have you lost track of a day this week? It's already Thursday. I don't know if that's good news or bad news uh, for you, depending on uh, if, if, you know, you got five days worth of work to do in four days, then maybe the fact that it's Thursday is a little bit terrifying. But here we go. It's Thursday. Um on the scientific development front, which as Christians we we need to be pay attention pay attention to sort of that um, front edge of scientific research and discovery, and we have talked at points in the past about the ways in which scientists are able to manipulate um, genes and how um, science is at the cutting edge of human embryo development. Um, And so if you were to think here about, you know, the advent of the test tube baby and the conversations that were provoked by that uh, about, you know, what what is a baby and where must a baby be be incubated and, you know, how essential is a human womb and therefore a human woman and a man and a woman. And you would say to yourself, um, yes, it takes a man and a woman to to have a baby. And you would have been right until today. And so as Christians, we are going to have to understand and start talking about embryogenesis. Embryogenesis is um, the creation of human, what are called embryo-like. Now, when when they actually test these, they test positive for pregnancy. So if a pregnancy test is the way that we have determined that there is a baby, then embryogenesis, which is this creation of human embryo-like structures grown solely from stem cells, so not an egg and not a sperm, not a fertilized egg. That is not what's going on here. Um, So this is a scientific breakthrough performed through the use of, uh, without the use, excuse me, without the use of sperm, without the use of human fertilized eggs. So they're only using stem cells, um, and there is no womb involved here. Um, and so we're talking about stem cells, um, and we are talking about the creation of human embryos. That's the only way to describe this. And they are allowing them to develop for 14 days. 
and then um, they are discarding them. Why 14 days? Well, because at the equivalent of 14 days of gestation, a human embryo begins to naturally develop the precursor to human organs. And so it begins to um, lead us to a conversation about this could develop into a human being. And you don't really know what would happen um, if you allowed it to develop further than that. And so they they believe that this um, gets them around the technical limitations and the ethical concerns related to the destruction of human embryos. But I got to tell you, if what you're creating is human embryos and you're doing so to do research and then ultimately to destroy and discard them, those of us who are pro-life are going to say, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. If it's if it's if you test positive for pregnancy, when you apply a pregnancy test to what you have created through embryogenesis, then what you have is a human embryo. So if you thought the conversation about abortion was already complex, um, it's only going to grow more so. If you thought the conversation about people of the same sex wanting to have a baby and have a baby of their own was already complex, it has now grown more complex. Um, we are going to have to refamiliarize ourselves with God's good and perfect creative design in Genesis 1 and 2. We are going to have to reacquaint ourselves with what it means to be human, to learn to articulate what it means for human life to begin. Um, we are going to have to remind ourselves what is a man and what is a woman. God's design for a husband and a wife to come together and when the two become one, through their union, God creates others. And into their care, God commits children to be raised and nurtured. God created them male and female. He created them in his image. He created them. And then he created marriage. And then he created family. And through these building blocks, he created culture. Um, we have broken ourselves against that good design, and we are suffering the consequences of it. And today is just the latest development along that trend line, and it's called embryogenesis. I'm sure we will talk more about it in, uh, in the coming days and weeks and months. Vanitha Reisner is going to join us next, and we are going to wrestle with the fear of the unknown. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Vanitha Reisner is joining us. She's the author of Walking Through the Fire and creator of Helping the Hurting. Vanitha, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. It's great to be here. All right. People are wrestling with all kinds of things, right? We, we, wrestle, with, um, we wrestle with things known and unknown. You have written a beautiful uh, piece here, Wrestling with a Fear of the Unknown. Uh, you guys can find that at vanitha.com. Um, talk with us about um, what we do when we are wrestling with fears of the unknown. Hmm. That's great. Great way to put it, Carmen. What do we do? Because the question for me is immediately, I wish I would just get on my knees or, you know, just pray. But often I just roll over the possibility, possibility, possibilities endlessly in my head. Like I distract myself. I ask other people, I go to the internet, like I've been dealing with a lot of health issues that seem unrelated and 
my first reaction is I need more information. I need to know what's going to happen. What, what are these possibilities? And it is only then when I'm already in a panic, sometimes I'm like, okay, I need to take this to God first. Like the God of the universe is the one who I need to take all these troubles to rather than my friends or the internet or myself. And so with the fears of the unknown, what do we do? We need to go to God because that totally changes our perspective. But if any of the listeners are saying, yeah, I know I need to go to God, but I don't, um, I'm totally with you because I don't when I should. And yet there is so much power when we do. And so wrote the article, honestly, for myself, as I'm going through lots of tests and you know, it was in a test yesterday, they couldn't get my IV in. And I remember thinking, okay, how long is this going to be? They were like getting different nurses in to try to do it. And I thought, okay, my mind needs to be on Jesus. Like, let me keep my mind on Jesus versus what's going to happen if they can't do this. And and that really did change it for me, Carmen. And so I say that as somebody who who has to remind herself all the time, put your mind on Jesus. Um, when you are wrestling with your fears of the unknown, do you have particular passages of scripture that, um, you know, God's already planted in your in your heart and your mind, but you like intentionally seek them out and draw them forward? Yes. Well, there's there's several. Um, one passage may seem obscure to some people. It's in Second Chronicles twenty, where um, Jehoshaphat, who's the king of Judah, there's a whole army coming against him. And and it says, you know, there's a horde coming and he has no idea it's coming all of a sudden. And then he says to God, basically, we have no idea what to do, but our eyes are on you. And those have become the words that I say back to God. And they have brought me so much comfort because I don't know what to do in most of these things. And they're just words I say, Second Second Chronicles 20, 12. We have no idea what to do, but our eyes are on you. And so that's one passage that I go to a lot, just a, just a prayer. And I love scripture that can just be these breath prayers in the midst of just overwhelm. And that's that's one of them. And I love Psalm 56 as well, where David is afraid. And he first says, um, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And, and I say that when I'm afraid, I put talking to God because I'm afraid. And I think sometimes as Christians, we think, oh, we shouldn't be afraid. Like if we trust God, that God just drives away all the fear. But the second verse in that passage is, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? And so it's this beautiful turn of Mm -hmm. when we're afraid, we say, I'm putting my trust in you, God. And then we realize the fears are gone because People can't do anything to us. God is with us. And so I love those two passages. They're things that I pray when I'm in the midst of sort of a storm and my mind is going lots of different places. I love just sort of saying those back to God. And and another passage I love is one that probably most people listening might know, which is Psalm 23, 4. Um, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And just recognizing my eyes are on Jesus and I don't need to be afraid because God is right there with me. So those are the things that I say when I'm kind of wrestling with fears of the unknown, whether they're the unknown within like a few minutes, what's about to happen or the unknown, like 
days and months and years ahead, but I feel like this is on a trajectory that I am afraid of and I don't know where it's going. So there's, there's lots of levels of fear um, of the unknown, because I think we're often, we're afraid of what's happening right now, but the fear of tomorrow is a lot more frightening, I would say, than the fear of what's happening right in front of us. It's the possibilities, I think, that really kind of bury a lot of us in fear. Yeah, as um, as I was uh, considering these passages, one like story from Scripture that the Lord brought to mind was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replying to King Nebuchadnezzar when um, you know, the the prospect of being thrown into the blazing furnace is before them. Um, and they 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 have this Je- Jehoshaphat like moment, right? I mean, like that what is before them is um by all human measures certain death. Mm-hmm. But instead what they put front and center is God. Um, you know, the the God we serve is able to deliver us. Um and, and if he does, great. And if he doesn't we want you to know that um, we're not going to bow down and worship you. <laughs> we're not going to bow down and worship the image you have set up um, because that's idolatry and we're not going to do that. I do think that this um, this mindset of whether I live or die, I belong to the Lord um, is is maybe the, the final um, weapon we have as believers um, as we face the unknown. Um, and it, it it's not that we then have no like legit fear, but we have fear placed in the in in the right direction, and that's the fear of the Lord, um, who is awesome and and awesomely good. So um, let's continue this conversation in just a moment. I wanna um, I wanna continue to unpack this. What do you do when you're wrestling with the fear of the unknown? We're talking with Vanitha Reisner. And you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Vanitha Reisner. If you visit her online at vanitha.com, the featured Bible study right now is Desperate for Hope, Questions We Ask God in Suffering, Loss, and Longing. Um, It's a seven-session study that I I commend to you. Um, Vanitha also blogs on this site, and that's where you can find what we're discussing right now, Wrestling with Fear of the Unknown. Um, when, um, When people are desperate for hope, um, and they are facing the unknown. Can you connect those two concepts for us, uh, or maybe three concepts, desperation, hope? Well, I guess there's four, fear and the unknown. Yeah. I would say that when we are desperate for hope, it's generally because we are afraid. There's, there's something that's happening that we don't know what's going to happen 
next. Like in the middle of it, we we sense God's presence often, but it's this sense of what is about to happen to us. And I feel like the Bible study and the the principles I had in that are actually what I use when I'm wrestling with the fears of the unknown, which is what you just said, Carmen, before is whether I live or die, I belong to Jesus. And I think that's really the crux of, of what we do when we are afraid is remember that, that this life is a passage from life to life and that there will never be one minute that we will be without Jesus. Like, I think the scariest thing is thinking, wow, we're going to be on our own and what's going to happen two minutes before we die or are we ever going to be without Jesus? And the answer for believers is no. So even if the worst happens, even if our nightmares come true, Jesus will be right there with us. And that's one of the biggest principles in the Bible study when we're desperate for hope is we will never really be without hope because our hope is not in an outcome. I like my hope to be in an outcome, like the next test is going to show I'm fine or this is going to happen. Things are going to be good, but our hope is so firmly grounded in a person. And so when we're desperate for hope, we're desperate for Jesus. And when we have Jesus, nothing can separate us from him. And and that's the amazing truth of the gospel. We'll never be without him. And so there's nothing baseline to fear because even if it takes our life, even if it takes everything, Jesus will be with us. And it may sound like I'm saying it tritely, but I say that to myself when there's things that feel overwhelmingly hard. Um, And the other thing that is really comforting to me, Carmen, is that our suffering has purpose. So we have Jesus with us. We know our suffering will end. You know, when we are in heaven, there will be no more suffering. So we'll walk with Jesus till we get there. But then when we look back, we'll see, wow, God used that. It wasn't meaningless. It wasn't that I just went through that and I have no idea why. I, I really do feel like First um, Corinthians says, now we see in a mirror dimly, then we'll see face to face. And I do feel like we will see what God has done with our suffering in glory. And I think we'll be blown away. And so that's what I remind myself when there's huge fears of the unknown, and I don't know which way it's going to go. And for people listening today, you know, there's no guarantees that it's going to go one way, but there's lots of guarantees that God will be with you, that no matter what happens, he will never leave you. And there is a purpose to this, no matter how it ends. And so those are the things that I ground my life on. And I remind myself when I'm in the midst of something hard and I want to look to Google and I want to look to friends and I want to be afraid is these are the stakes in the ground. These are the anchors that help me when I'm afraid to say, okay, I have no idea what to do, but my eyes are on you and you have this, like God's got this. God has been to tomorrow. He knows what's coming and he is preparing us today for what's coming tomorrow. And that assurance has really helped me with my fears of the unknown as well is God's been there. I don't know, but God's been to tomorrow. He's the only one that knows what's there. And right now, even as I'm praying, even as I'm fearful, God is giving me what I need for tomorrow. So I just need to concentrate on today. And I think that's a, that's something that God keeps reminding me of too, is today. Like, can I concentrate on today? Can I keep my eyes on today? Can I keep my eyes on Jesus right now? 
rather than going to tomorrow when I I won't get what I need for tomorrow until tomorrow comes, but I can trust that God will give me everything I need for tomorrow when it comes. God has given me what I need for tomorrow. Um, we could make that list. God has given me himself. God has given me his promises. God has given me his spirit. God has given me his word. God has given me his fellowship. God has given me a community of believers. God has given me his goodness. Um, God has given me what I need for tomorrow. So as you consider uh, tomorrow and, um, and all that it holds, consider the one who holds you in it, um, wrestling with whatever fear of the unknown you are wrestling with today. Um, Vanitha, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Ah, thank you so much for having me, Carmen. Yeah, it's a beautiful time. You can um, you can catch up with Vanitha at vanitha.com. Lots of great resources there and access to her Bible studies and her books. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Well, uh, it seems that... Um, Mexico has arrived at, uh, at a place where America was for a period of time. Um, and we're going to talk here for a moment about the topic of abortion. Abortion has been criminally illegal at the federal level in Mexico up until a decision by the Supreme Court in Mexico to decriminalize abortion. Uh, and so what it left in place um, are all of the regional or what we would think of as state-level um, restrictions related to abortion. Uh, Mexico has become the, the place where women in the United States have been accessing abortion-inducing drugs across the border illegally, but uh, they've been doing so in increasing and in sometimes record numbers. And so we want to um, we want to be prayerful and mindful of uh, of of what is happening not just here in the United States but um, but across our borders north and south and certainly around the world as we bring our concerns before the Lord as we recognize um, the gift of life and its fragility as we even have conversations about the um, you know the the quote unquote creation of of human embryos. Um, in ways that are not by God's design. And so across Latin America, countries um, have been moving forward and lifting abortion restrictions uh, in recent years. Um, and from a pro-abortion view, this, tra- this trend in Central and South America um, runs contrary to what they would see as a um, growing restriction of abortion here in the United States, where it has obviously been um, like wildly popular um, over the last 50 years. And so since the reversal of Roe v. Wade by the U.S. Supreme Court, which returned this conversation to the states, we have obviously had a renewed and robust conversation um, in our own local communities and across the country on this topic. So let me just make um, one, one quick point here. Um, making something legal does not change its moral status does not change the moral status of the act. So making divorce legal didn't make divorce morally good. Making recreational drug use legal does not make it a moral good. Making alcohol uh, 
distribution and sale legal does not make alcohol consumption a moral good. Making gambling legal does not make gambling a moral good. Making prostitution legal does not make prostitution a moral good. Making abortion legal does not make abortion a moral good. God is the arbiter of what is good um, and God alone. And so while we pray and work to see the laws of the land in which we live conform to the revealed will of God, we also live with the knowledge that um, we live now in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. And we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to explore the origins of the universe um, with Tom Redelius. Uh, He is the author of Chasing Proof and Finding Faith. He has a Ph.D. from Harvard. He is a string theorist, a cosmologist, and a Minnesota sports fan. We're going to talk about all of that next here on Mornings with Carmen. Tom Redelius is... uh, is a smarty pants for sure. He has a PhD from Harvard. He's a string theorist. I don't even know what that means. He's a cosmologist. I think I know what that means. He's a Minnesota sports fan. He might be a twins fan because he's a twin. We'll explore that. Um, for our um, conversation today, it's important to know that he's a brother in Christ, and we're going to talk about his journey um, to this place. So his book is Chasing Proof, Finding Faith. Tom, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. Good to be here. All right. So um, let's just follow the arc of the book uh, in terms of unfolding your story. You are a twin. So maybe tell us about your brother um, and what role he that he he plays really in this um, in this story. Yeah. So um, so my twin brother, his name is Steve. He's he's always been my best friend. And growing up, we, we were raised in a very loving, but also uh, rather non-religious family. Uh, so we never went to church. We never read, the, never read the Bible. And most of what we knew about religion came from watching cartoons. So Steve and I went to different colleges. Uh, and his friend, Steve, came to faith, primarily through conversations with uh, a Christian guy that he met on his floor. And so from there, Steve started talking with me about faith. And it was really through those conversations, through some books about faith and, and Christianity that he gave me, that really laid the foundation for ultimately my conversion as well. I mean, initially, were you? How did you respond? Um, you know, to Steve's newfound faith and his enthusiasm. Um, you guys are pretty different uh, in, in terms of maybe the things that you apply yourselves to. Um, and so, I'm just kind of wondering, like, okay, the first the first time he initiates this conversation and then as it unfolds, like, how are you feeling? How are you responding? Yeah, I was, I was not enthused. Um, I think that part of it was just a fear of the unknown. A big part was just a fear that my brother was going to change and become someone different and that I wouldn't really be able to relate to him as well as I did before. Um, I think there was also just the fact that I wasn't all that interested in religious faith. When my brother tried to give me a copy of the Bible to read. I told him, look, Steve, I have trouble finding time to read books that I want to read, much less time to read books that I don't want to read. So it wasn't, it, it was a little bit of hostility. It was more just kind of fear of um, of what was 
going to happen. And so, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't very excited about it. What is the lie detector test and what role does it play in this story? Yeah, so um, so after my sophomore year of college that summer, I was applying for an internship with the National Security Agency contingent upon completing a polygraph test, uh, sometimes colloquially known as a lie detector test. And um, this was kind of in the middle of my search for, for truth. You know, I'd started reading the books that Steve had given me. I'd read the New Testament. Uh, I'd had a lot of conversations with him. And re- where I really was kind of held up was just still this, this apathy towards faith that even if I thought maybe it was reasonable that I could intellectually believe it, it just didn't seem like the most important thing to me at the time. So uh, I went into this um, polygraph and my, and my feelings towards it were pretty similar to my feelings towards religion, which are, hey, I'm basically a good person. I haven't done anything seriously wrong. This should be fine. But I went in there and started doing this test. And I realized pretty quickly that I was going to fail not only if I were lying, but just if I felt guilty about anything. So for about four hours, I shared everything that I could think of that I'd done wrong in my life. And it was in that moment that this message that my brother had been telling me about our need for forgiveness, about how everyone has done something wrong, everyone has sinned and is in need of that grace of God, that started to really make sense out of my own experience as I started to realize that deep down, you know, I'm not as good of a person as I like to think I am. And so I think for me, that was maybe the the straw that broke the camel's back that really pushed me over the edge towards faith and in, in realizing that this is something that I think is not only intellectually plausible, but also just something that makes sense in my own experience and is something that I need. We're talking with Tom Redelius. Um, his, his, I will describe it um, in part as a, as a memoir, but it's really this wonderful unpacking and journey um, from disbelief to belief, or maybe apathetic non-belief to belief, chasing proof, finding faith. Um, Tom, we want to talk with you about science um, mm-hmm. and maybe scientism mm-hmm. and um, because you you live and operate in an academic world where God is really not often regarded as uh, a player at all, let alone a significant player. Can you talk a little bit about that tension? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that a lot of people tend to view religion and science as two completely separate and even incompatible approaches to the same questions. And I say that something that I've found by, you know, actually walking now the the journey of science um, and going to grad school and a postdoc and now a professor and, uh, and also actually walking the journey of faith um, and becoming someone who is a person of faith Something that I've found is that I think that my approaches to science and faith are actually very similar approaches to very different types of questions, where I think science really does better with um, questions about mechanisms and how things work. And I think that religion does a better job with questions about meaning and purpose. And I think that the biggest problems come when we try to push one or the other across those boundaries. Um, and scientism. I think that really scientism is a great example of this, of trying to use science to answer questions about meaning and purpose. And I think that ultimately that's just not what science is best at. And I think religion similarly is best at those questions and it's not as good at answering questions about mechanisms. 
We're going to continue our conversation with Tom Rodelius here in just a moment. In the arc of Tom's story, um, we encounter uncertainty, doubt, anxiety, and he's going to talk with us about um, how his pursuit of proof for God ultimately led to faith. That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. 150 million people, 150 million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio live, any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night. Download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life. All right, Tom Rodelius is here, um, and he is a professor uh, at Durham University. He has recently been a a researcher in theoretical physics at the University of California, Berkeley. He is the author of Chasing Proof, Finding Faith. He talks frequently at the intersection of science and faith, and I'm going to, I'll be here to tell you that you're going to hear a lot more from him um, in the future. He is, um, I think, not only a faithful voice, but because he speaks in the context of, um, uh, of a community that we often don't know how to penetrate. Um, for those of us who are not in this world of string theory and early universe cosmology, like, right, we don't live there, but Tom lives there. And so he's going to be like our bridge man to help us understand the conversations that are taking place among people who never think about God um, and, and we who always think about him. So, Tom, when when we just moving forward in the arc of the story that you tell in your book, can you take us into, I mean, this is sort of where you become a real person to lots of us. Um, It's not that your journey was without uncertainty or without doubts and that you didn't experience or haven't experienced anxiety along the way. Can you talk about some of that? Yeah. um, So I think um, it was maybe a couple of years after I became a Christian. So it was my, my first year of grad school where I, where I first had kind of these obsessive doubts about my faith. Um, and I've had them a few times since lasting anywhere from a couple of weeks to several months. And, um, you know, I think at first when I had them, I, I was just really worried, you know, am, am I, do I even believe this? Am I really a Christian? Um, and what I can now say, looking back, is that I think what I was really experiencing was less an intellectual question about about doubt and what's rational to believe. And it was more just a mental health crisis uh, of going through a really difficult period of anxiety. And for me, the arena where that anxiety played itself out was in the arena of my religious faith. And I think that, uh, yeah, so I guess what I've what I've learned is that in those situations, what I what I think I really need is not so much answers, but rather treatment. And um, and what I really need to do is maybe not have all the questions answered every moment of the day, but ultimately just to give my allegiance to God, even in the midst of my doubts. Mm, that's so good. Um, so we have a listener um, on the line. His name is Bob. 
string theory. Does that mean Tom believes in the multiverse? All right. I don't know what either either one of those things is. So um, <laughs> what is, uh, I, I you know, string, th- string theory for, let's just say, the absolute lay person. And then does that lead to a belief in the multiverse? And if so, what is that? Yeah. So string theory is, at its heart, uh, an attempt to combine two uh, of Einstein's most prominent theories. So Einstein is is known primarily for his work on gravity uh, and his theory of gravity is called general relativity. Uh, He's also known for a theory that he and many others developed called quantum mechanics. And general relativity, quantum mechanics, both work well in their uh, individual regimes, but when you put them together, they don't work so well. And so what you need is a new theory and that's what string theory attempts to accomplish. It's the, the best candidate we have at the moment for a theory which combines general relativity and quantum mechanics into one. What this question I think is, is getting at is that um, string theory seems to give rise to not just a single universe like ours, but many different universes with many different laws of physics in them. So some of them might have more particles, some of them might have more forces besides just the ones that we know and love. And um, I mean, I guess I'm a bit agnostic when it comes to questions of the multiverse. I think that within the string theory community, the um, the extent to which string theory predicts a multiverse has been a bit overstated. But on the other hand, I also think that as a Christian, as a person of faith, that a multiverse isn't something that's you know necessarily devastating to our faith. Um, I think it's possible to believe in, in God and also to believe that Maybe he made more than just one universe out there. Um, so I guess I would lean towards probably multiverse exists, but I'm a big, bit agnostic on the question, as I said. Yes, at this point, we can't um, <clears throat> transport ourselves from one to the other. But those are the questions that are explored or the ideas that are explored in some of our most favorite um Christian fantasy. I mean, right? I mean, we wouldn't right, walk yeah. through the back of the... Uh, of the wardrobe um, into Narnia um, were there not an idea of a multiverse. So um, I think that it's um, it's important for us to, to sort of recognize how close we are to these conversations, even when we think they are they are only happening in spaces and among people who we totally don't understand, which would, you know, when you said what I, you know, if you had let me answer the question, what is Einstein most well known for? I would have said his hair. Like, right. It's not, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I and I went to Princeton. So, uh, yeah, it's a problem. Right. Right. Those of us that are not science minded in this way, we need people like you to absolutely build bridges. And you're doing that in a in a really beautiful and remarkable way. So thank you so much. Um, early universe cosmology. Um, you know, maybe we're reading a headline uh, where we are hearing that the Japanese have. Uh, sent forth this um, Explorer uh, rocket uh, just today um, because they want to explore the, quote, origins of the universe. So I want to read Genesis 1 and 2, and other people want to send rockets into space and look beyond what we can otherwise see. Um, Talk with us about early universe cosmology. Yeah, I mean, I think this is an example um, of what I was talking about before of kind of the way that, that science and faith offer, I think, similar approaches to different questions. Um, where I think that, um, you know, when, when, when I'm looking at universe, early universe cosmology, I'm looking at questions of how the universe came into existence and what was happening in the earliest moments uh, of the universe's history. 
I think that when I read Genesis, you know, what I'm, what I'm learning more about is the God who created this and what his purpose was and, and um, you know, what this world is all about. And so I think to me, um, you know, I, I don't view the scientific approach to the early universe and the religious approach to the early universe as being in, in conflict with one another. I think that they're really ultimately um, two sides of the same coin uh, of trying to understand what our world is and what our role is in this cosmic drama. Um, have you already read Interstellar? Uh, it's by this Harvard professor um, about, you know, and he's found these strange alien spheres in the ocean. Um, would you would you read it and then come back and talk with us about it? Uh He's, I'm yes, just like an I think assignment. I would. I'm like the, I'm like the radio host the that makes assignments. Okay. No, no, yeah, it's right. a brand new book. He's an astrophysicist. His <laughs> name is Avi Loeb. And oh, yeah. uh-huh. um, he's talking about the origins. And the reason he's talking about the origin of the universe in his book is because he actually says, I mean, he's writing to, you know, he's not writing to me for sure. Um, right. But he's writing to people who are willing to have only one half of the conversation. Um, and he's really mm. pressing them saying, look, if you really want to know, if we really want to get to the scientific answer of, you know, the possibility there might be strange alien spheres at the bottom of the ocean because, you know, mm. things run into us all the time. Um, then we also have to be willing to enter into a conversation about why we're alive at all. And mm-hmm. so I'm not sure he lands at a at a place of faith, but he might be a super duper interesting conversation partner for you um, going forward. Yes, definitely. I'll, uh, yes, I'll I'm here to, to just connect you to other people who. Yeah, because we like to hear people like you talk and we like to hear people like you talk to other people like you who aren't yet believers because <laughs> mm-hmm. we're we're holding out hope that God's going to use you in that way. So, Tom, I'm just going to go ahead and confess like I have ulterior motives. I you know, All I right. want to see God use you in, in really more remarkable ways. All right. Um, you're a Twins fan, not just because you're a twin. That's right. Yeah. My family grew up, uh, uh, my, my family is from Minnesota, both my parents, uh, most of my relatives. So yeah, Minnesota sports fan my whole life. All right. So we have a ton of people listening in Minnesota. So now they have just fallen in love with you for totally different reasons. Tom, um, what a delight. It's wonderful to connect with you. We're going we're gonna to follow you. We're going to listen to you. We're going to read your book. It's Chasing Proof, Finding Faith. You guys can connect with Tom Redelius um, at Tom Redelius. He has a WordPress site. He's also on Twitter, now X, which I still can't explain. Um, Tom, as always, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Yeah, what a delight. All right, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We will be um, right back to wrap up our conversation today. What are you thinking about these, uh, all these things? Um, yes, uh, here's a person in the 401 area code who says, how cool to have Tom on the show today. He's in Rapid City, um, but he's from the Northeast. He met Tom um, on their way to a, 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 a crew event 10 years ago. So there you go, a fan, uh, a fam of Tom Redelius listening uh, this morning. So thank you so much for making that connection. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, I want you to go out there and be shiny today. Bring the mind of Christ to bear on every conversation in every place. And if you're in a place of doubt or fear or anxiety, um, let me commend to you um, just this, you know, again, this verse from Second Chronicles 20. I mean, you know, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are fixed on, on you. So turn your eyes to Jesus today. 
Um, Let him walk with you. Let him talk with you. Seek his counsel and his comfort um, and share him with others. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.